Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and today's show is part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series. Thank you so much for listening today. We have got a great returning guest whom I'll introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 670th episode, and I spoke to Smithsonian Associate and Pulitzer Prize-winning author Stacy Schiff about her new book and upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation about Samuel Adams titled The Revolutionary Samuel Adams. Two weeks ago, in another great interview, I spoke to comedian and host of the popular podcast Carson Podcast, funny man himself, Mark Malkoff. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. If you missed those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we'll read it at the end of each show. Please leave reviews for us at Apple Podcasts. Our guest today is award-winning historian, author, and public humanities scholar Clay Jenkinson, who will introduce us to the U.S. Constitution. Yes, I said the U.S. Constitution, which is a document worth paying a lot of attention to these days and a document that's getting a lot of attention, justifiably so. Clay Jenkinson will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, but we have Clay Jenkinson today and we will chat about the United States Constitution, which was written in the 18th century in a three-mile-per-hour world by white, privileged men in wigs and buckled shoes. It's been amended only 27 times in 235 years, the first 10 right off the bat with the Bill of Rights. The question we'll talk about today with Clay Jenkinson is whether the Constitution is still the right blueprint for the most powerful country in the world at a time of breathtaking social and technological change, or whether it is time to amend or replace the Constitution with something more relevant to the opportunities and challenges of our times. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast, award-winning historian, author, public humanities scholar, and Smithsonian associate, Clay Jenkinson. Please check out our website for more details about Smithsonian associates, and let's welcome Clay Jenkinson. Clay Jenkinson, welcome back to the program. I'm very glad to be here. I so love the work that I get to do for the Smithsonian, and I'm always glad to talk with you. I feel this right back at you, sir. I, I feel the same. We, we've talked previously about the Great American Road Trips. We're going to talk today about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I'm excited to talk about this. I think it's an important subject, Clay Jenkinson. We're going to talk about the, the Constitution. And I wonder if you'd just tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, maybe maybe how you're going to use Zoom to engage our audience, because we're, we're all on Zoom these days. I didn't... I didn't know that Zoom existed three years ago, and now, of course, we live a, a day in our lives without it. So I'm eager for that. I've got some slides to show. I gave a talk uh, for the Smithsonian Associates a few months ago on the Constitution, and it got a good response, and there were so many things that we couldn't get to in an hour and a half that uh, Kathy Fuller invited me to come back and do Constitution Part 2. And so... I'm not quite sure what that amounts to. I'll go back and summarize some of the things, of course, about the Constitution written in 1787. Uh, George Washington presiding, uh, Jefferson not there, John Adams not there, Patrick Henry not there, 
um, Jefferson in France at the time, serving as the American minister to the court of Louis the uh, they hammered out a constitution uh, through the summer of 1787, led largely by James Madison, uh, and it um, was a kind of revolution from the loose association under the Articles of Confederation to a much more centralized national government with the powers to both hold the states together and to engage in real treaties with Europe, etc. So that's the basis of it. Jefferson, when he saw the drafts of the new constitution was a little disappointed because it didn't contain a bill of rights. And he thought that uh, the perpetual reelectability of the president would become an issue and would lead to monarchy. And he also wanted a provision um, prohibiting a national debt or uh, passing a national debt on to the future, etc. But on the whole, he liked it. So that's the constitution. It was ratified in 1788. It's been only uh, amended 27 times in 234 years, 10 of them right off the bat, the Bill of Rights. The other 17 are kind of a mixed bag. Some are merely procedural. There is, of course, prohibition and the uh, revocation of prohibition. Um, the last one was in 1992 about uh, salaries of, of congressmen and women. It seems ridiculous to us now, but at the time, apparently, that was important. And so the Constitution has only been amended a few times in our history. And I, and I know Thomas Jefferson would say that's not enough. You know, we're, we're fossilizing this instrument uh, by making it sacred writ instead of a, um, a flexible uh, document that can grow with the country. So that was sort of part one. Part two is, is it, we'll look more about the amendment process, but also I'm interested in where we are now. The 250th birthday of the country is coming. I don't know about you, but I'm um, bracing for it and in some ways dreading it because it's going to be a cultural wars bloodbath, I think. You know, the 1619 side of the equation will say that it's all been about power and exploitation of natives and, and women and African-Americans and Mexicans and so on, and that we're just a nation like other nations. Um, but we have a kind of this veneer of enlightenment rhetoric we tend to hide behind. And then the conservatives will be saying that we are, of course, America with a capital A or maybe all caps, and that although we're not perfect, we're the best thing that's ever happened in the world. And how dare you criticize uh, our fundamental problems of race and, and so on. So my proposal is that instead of all that, or in addition to all that, we have a constitutional convention, or at least a mock constitutional convention for 2026, and ask ourselves if we were writing it now or revising it now, if we had a free hand, what would we address and how would we address it? I think that's a really interesting intellectual exercise. I don't expect it to happen, of course, but I think it would be a much better way to observe the 250th birthday of the country than the, you know, the, the circus that's almost certainly coming. Thank you so much for that. I, I, I agree with you. I am bracing a bit, I suppose, for this this time. I like the word choice that, that you use about fossilizing. And I can only imagine that that summer, those summer months, 234, 235 years ago, uh, and – and what might have been discussed in that room? Because on the one hand, you know, the document might be fossilized. It, it, but on the other hand, 
it has only been updated 27 times. I think it's it's a document that we can hold out as a country uh, across the, the world as one that has served us well. But we are facing a bunch of challenges right now. And, and I wonder what you think about that. And I like this idea of a constitutional convention. I mean, where, where do we start to get that done? Well, you Clint can Jacobson. start it. I mean, the, the Smithsonian with the National Endowment <laughs> for the Humanities uh, okay. would be great partners in suggesting this. I can see a number of them occurring regionally around the country. Um, we could use computer algorithms to find 55 representatives. You know, at the time, of uh, the original constitution in 1787, uh, they were all men, white men, almost all of them had substantial property, many of them slaveholders. So that is hardly a representative sample of the world of 1787, and it certainly would not muster any support as a sample in our own time. So now with, with advanced computing, we could probably put together the most representative 55 delegates you can conceive of. That's probably not enough given the size and the diversity of the country. But assuming we tried to do that, I think we could do that. You could do it in San Diego and in Tampa and in Seattle and in uh, Portland, Maine. I think it would be a marvelous way of asking ourselves the big question. So if we did it, either um, formally or informally, what would happen? I think the thing we've learned in the last eight years, and I don't mean to be at all partisan in this, I'm speaking as a humanity scholar and a historian. I think what we've learned is that the Constitution, which has about 4,500 words, is not enough. That there's the Constitution that tells us that the House will be reelected every second year and treaties require a certain kind of majority and impeachment involves the following procedures and so on. That's the capital C constitution. But there's a small C constitution of what might be called norms. The cabinet is not mentioned in the constitution of the United States. Executive privilege is not mentioned in the constitution. Peaceful transfer of power is nowhere addressed in the constitution of the United States. And so we've seen, I think, in the last six years, that if, if you don't subscribe to the norms, the small C constitution, in addition to the capital C written constitution, it leads to chaos. And we, you know, the guardrails held, but it's not clear that if there isn't a national consensus of, of civic commitment to what the Romans would call virtue, that you can't maintain a constitutional republic, or, or it's certainly um, more fragile than it might at first appear. And so if, if we started over, if we were rewriting it, we might want to build into the next constitution some guardrails that are not there at the moment. And I think we would want to address the impeachment clause. There's never been a successful removal of a president in all this time. And um, even leaving out the last 25 years, there have certainly been presidents in our history who, who deserved to be removed before their terms were up. Uh, we would want to address the emoluments clause. We would want to address the pardon clause. We would want to address the electoral college. We might want to address the question of, of, of term limits. In other words, there are a whole range of things, war powers among them, that it would be useful for us to address and clarify. And then, of course, there's the mother load that nobody wants to talk about, the third rail of American life, which is what does the Second Amendment mean in 1788? 
and what does it mean in 2022 or 2026? So I think this would be a, an extraordinary project, uh, an exercise, and I think it would help Americans become better aware of their constitution. I think there's widespread public ignorance of what the constitution is and what it um, does and doesn't do. And that has led to some of the constitutional breakdown that we've seen in the last quarter century and most recently in the last seven or eight years. Yeah. I, again, I, I appreciate all this. And, and I, I like this reference to the small C constitution. It, it It's it's hard to look forward. It's hard to be have that foresight. And in a lot of ways, we can look at the Constitution as being this blueprint, yet we do have some very express and specific issues that, that we need to address. How can we kind of plan looking forward knowing what's kind of happened in the past? I suppose as a historian, that's that's what you do. I mean, that's what you know we, we talk about with you. But what do, what do you suggest we do if if this these constitutional conventions come do come together? How do we kind of look forward? Well, that's a great question, and thank you for it, uh, and a difficult question too. So, one thing would be for us to have seminars, national seminars, on how the Constitution was crafted in 1787. I teach online courses about this now, and they're very popular. Um, people can go to jeffersonhour.com if they're interested in all that, but but what we address is how the Constitution was crafted, by whom, and what were the flashpoint issues. And once you've done that, you have a much better sense of what's at stake. Then the question is, you know, what's happened in the last 234 years, and how has the Constitution been refocused or stretched to embrace things that the Founding Fathers couldn't possibly have imagined in their lifetime? Uh, electricity, for example, or or the, the, the internet, or uh, an AK-47, or an AR-15, or cruise missiles, or instantaneous warfare, or lasers, etc. So, you know, we're kind of stuck with this 18th century Newtonian document that couldn't have anticipated life in the 21st century, and that puts way too much power in the hands of jurists, because they have to try to square whatever is coming out of Congress with this magnificent but somewhat vague document uh, from back then. So, so we would certainly want to, to talk about that. But the second point I would make about this is that during the first impeachment uh, of Donald Trump, if you remember, the Senate brought in some, ex some superb constitutional experts, and they didn't all agree, but in the couple of hours, they laid out what impeachment means or what it might mean and under what circumstances the founders intended it to be used, and how the procedures in the Senate should operate, and what is a high crime, uh, both in British law and in American jurisprudence. And I thought that was the best civics lesson that I've heard on television in my entire life. So I extrapolate from We could assemble the finest constitutional scholars, Madison scholars, Washington scholars, um, the scholars about the, the, the history of the Bill of Rights, and we could have a, a, a preparatory set of national seminars to prepare us for this thing. Because I think if we just went in cold, it would be a disaster. We, we can't work by hunches. We have to work 
by serious intellectual preparation. So that's what historians or humanities scholars, uh, I think, could could bring to the table. And I think it would be, you know, even if it all became uh, an exercise in futility, it wouldn't be pointless because the civics lesson is so important. I mean, you hear these these reports, for example, that 30% of Americans in one poll said they thought Judge Judy was on the Supreme Court. Well, that's the depth of American civilization, if, that, if that's representative of our national ignorance. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with author, historian, U.S. Constitution expert, and Smithsonian associate Clay Jenkinson today. Clay Jenkinson, I guess I really have to ask you with all the confusion about the Constitution, the little C Constitution, and of course, you know, we're facing uh, all of the repercussions and fallout from the January 6th riots, insurrection. All of this has brought about even more unrest and potential for paralysis in our country. So I guess the question is, can a constitution serve as a means to bring us together today, to gather us, and and even give us some hope for our future democracy? You're asking these, really. Well, I hope that's okay with you. Exactly what humanity scholars want to do. We have no answers, but we know the right questions to ask. So I want to say one thing quickly, that that this program that I'm doing for Smithsonian Associates uh, is not meant to be political. In other words, of course we have the current moment, but that's not its point. My, my goal is to ground all of this in history and to help people understand what the Constitution did, what it didn't do, what's at stake, where are its fissures, and so on. But I certainly don't want it to be a, uh, a, in any way a, a partisan commentary on things that are going on in our times. One of the things I'm asking myself is, are we Rome? Have we stretched our Constitution as they did at the end of the Republic beyond its capacity to hold us together? And the answer is probably yes. And if you look at where we are with, let's say, January 6th, where private armies are now um, engaged on behalf of political figures, uh, where there's the possibility of mayhem in the streets, we have these gladiatorial entertainments like NFL football, that are you know, cost billions of dollars annually uh, and don't uh, produce any sort of civic engagement whatsoever. You know, we may be wrong. We we may be in this sort of slow motion collapse, and I think we can learn a lot by reading the history of the last years of the Roman Republic. There are several outstanding books on this subject, so there's lots that we can learn about this. I think the American people until very recently have felt, well, this isn't very interesting. You know, my life is home, family, God, um, shopping, uh, recreation, entertainment, etc. And that we don't really need to think about the constitution because it's, it's a settled matter. 
But I think what we're discovering is that we're straining that document so greatly now that it isn't really working very effectively for us. And so I hope we can step way back and say, who are we? How do we hold ourselves together? What unifies the American people in the 21st century? What do we hold in common? You know, because we have this sort of world of Fox and MSNBC, the blue and the red, rural versus urban, uh, the sophisticates versus the unwashed, you know, however you want to characterize it. And it seems obvious at this point that we're at least two nations, the blue and the red, uh, and they aren't talking to each other effectively at all, and they're certainly not listening. And so we have to ask ourselves those questions. Can we rebind this nation together? And if we were going to do it, what would it take? And, you know, the usual answer is a, a colossal war or some sort of deep economic collapse or some calamity like a massive earthquake that would sever half of California, et cetera, that crisis, you know, 9-11, uh, Pearl Harbor, that those things can bind the nation together. But certainly nobody wants that be our method, and it's not clear that it would work at this point anyway. And further than that, here's my view as a humanities scholar. In fact, I'm working on an online course about this now. Our narrative, our, our national narrative of who we are and how we got here and you know, the pilgrims coming to Massachusetts and the cavaliers coming to, um, to Virginia and Jamestown and then the pioneering movement after the revolution moving from Frontier Ridge to Frontier Ridge and the Native American Wars and so on. That story that we all learned growing up in school, that's in tatters now. We, that is not a national consensus anymore. The left thinks that that's just a silly fairy tale about Little House on the Prairie that has nothing to do with the actual power dynamics of American history. And the right is so touchy about this that they can't stand to believe that race has been a fundamental issue and continues to be a fundamental issue in American life. And so the, the, a nation that doesn't have a national narrative is going to have a very hard time governing itself, legislating, and the Constitution can't really hold us together. So we have two problems. We have a fossilized Constitution that uh, was created in a three-mile-per-hour world by white men and wings and tights. And then we have uh, the loss of, of a national consensus of who we are and what we value and what we stand for. And so that has to be addressed too. And and I will look at that to a certain degree in the, uh, the Smithsonian Associates program that I'm about to do. But you see the problem that, that our problems are deeper than, than the Constitution of the United States. Although that has to get addressed before we go on, I think. Well, I wondered, just as a final question, because again, Clay Jenkinson, I know you're very busy and we sure appreciate your time today. I wonder if you'll be addressing maybe the 800-pound gorilla because because we are so close with respect to the Equal Rights Amendment. And if that's a an inadequacy, it's still to be addressed. And, and, and if we have these constitutional conventions going forth, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll put a flag right in the sand right now to, to support that one. But I do believe that the ERA has to be pretty high on the list of those things to address to, to help us with this um, breaking point, to help us bring us together, especially since my own state, Virginia, was you know the 38th state to ratify the ERA technically. 
uh, we do seem to be very close. It would seem like that one, the ERA, would be very high on the list of those things to to really solve for us as a, as a country. Well, you hit the nail on the head um, because if there were, routinely under our amendment process, we have not been able to get the ERA across the finish line. I've gotten close a couple of times, but it hasn't happened. Um, and I think that's the fate of almost any constitutional amendment. It's, it's hard to believe that any amendment could be proposed today, whether it's a balanced budget amendment or a school prayer amendment or what have you, uh, that would actually uh, be ratified. The ratification trigger is very high. Um, uh, two-thirds of each house of Congress followed by three-quarters of the states. I think that's an impossible um, standard uh, in our divisive time to believe that anything will ever be a new constitutional amendment. So we probably need to lower that bar um, to something like 52% and two-thirds of the states. Or we, should, we should see if we can't encourage a few more amendments without making them too easy and, and therefore frivolous. But remember this one, Canada had a constitutional convention um, of a couple of decades ago. They tried to limit it to just two or three little things. But the minute they opened it, the doors swung open and everything was suddenly on the table. That scares some people, but it really um, appeals to me because if, think of it this way, if we had a new constitutional convention tomorrow, ERA would be absorbed would pass within seconds. In other words, there's no way that a new constitution would, would be able to be passed, be able to be written and ratified without the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment for Women, as central to it. And you can think of a number of other things. You know, the Second Amendment wouldn't possibly be written today as it was written in 1787. We need clarification on the First Amendment because of the world of the Internet, and we need uh, clarification on the Fourth Amendment because of electronic surveillance and so on and so forth. So once you swing those doors open, you can really accomplish a lot of very interesting things and things that seem impossible under routine matters like limiting um, the, the role of money in politics. You saw what happened with Citizens United. The court struck down an attempt to limit the use of money in our political campaigns because because it was unconstitutional. But if you write a new constitution, you could say we're going to have public financing of elections and they're only going to start in July 1st and end in November. You can do anything you want when you open these doors. And so I think that it's a breathtaking and slightly frightening prospect to think of what that would look like. But you're certainly right about that. I think there are other issues that just have to get addressed. And one of them is our war powers. The, the, the father's of the Constitution wanted to keep war powers really tightly controlled and not allow any executive to go to war without the explicit endorsement of the House of Representatives, the people's branch. Well, that has failed utterly now in the last 40 or 50 years, and that would have terrified James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and even George Washington and Hamilton. So, so it's really fun to think about this. And I'll do a little of that in this course, but mostly we'll be looking at the Constitution from a historical point of view and asking ourselves this big question, how well is it, how well is it operating? You know, what are the parts that are rusty? What are the parts that are broken? Or, or is it fine with just a few little clarifications? And I don't presume to have the answer to this, but I think that people who come to this program will be First, we'll go back and read their constitutions, but I think they will also, their friends, talk about, well, what would we do if we were rewriting this thing? 
Clay Jenkinson, it, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I really could talk to you for, <laughs> for several hours. It, it, it's been so generous of you to be here with us today, and great to have you coming to Smithsonian Associates where we can talk about um, these subjects, about the changing place of the Constitution. And, uh, of course, Clay Jenkinson, humanities scholar, has been our guest today. He will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up. Please check our website for more information about Clay Jenkinson's presentation, The Future of the Constitution, November 15th. We'll have links to where our audience can find out more information about Clay Jenkinson, his work, and the upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation that will feature Clay Jenkinson. But thank you, sir. Always good to talk to you. And my gosh, uh, so much to consider here. But uh, uh, we appreciate you being with us and being so on top of all this because we we need it. It, It's necessary for us, I think. Thank you. I love our conversations. I hope we do more. These are absolutely wonderful subjects, but I do all sorts of other talks. As you know, for the Smithsonian, there'll be one on the grapes of Thun and one on Dostoevsky. And so I like to range widely, but this has been a joy and I can't wait till November 15th. My thanks to Clay Jenkinson. Clay Jenkinson will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates via Zoom coming up. And the title of Clay Jenkinson's presentation is The Future of the U.S. Constitution. Please check out our website for more details about the Smithsonian Associates presentation. Hopefully today's show will give you some hope and insights into this amazing document. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe. Which, as you know, I'm telling you every single show, followed by the message to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn. School, let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week.